I'm Jody Whites, Results and Success Coach, and these podcasts teach you how to make significant changes to live your dreams, make a positive impact on the world, and drop your regrets. It's time for you to get spectacular. Welcome back to Your Spectacular Life. I'm Jody Whites your results coach and growth strategist here with Art Bell. Hi, Art. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Art Bell is a writer and former media executive known for creating, building, and managing successful cable television channels. His memoir, published by Ulysses Press is called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor, was recently honored as a finalist in the 2020 Best Book Award for Memoir. While working at HBO, Art pitched the idea of a 24-hour comedy network and helped develop and launch HBO's The Comedy Central Channel, which became Comedy Central. He went on to hold senior executives positions in the programming and marketing. And after leaving Comedy Central, Art became president of Court TV, where he was a guiding force behind one of the most successful brand evolutions in cable television. In addition to writing, he plays piano and jazz drums. You can contact Art at artbellwriter.com. All right, Art, quite quite a history you have had. (laughs) (laughs) Started Comedy Central. I love Comedy Central. It's a wonderful show. I'm glad to hear that, yeah. Yeah, you have a fan. You have many fans. (laughs) (laughs) And I understand Comedy Central is in its 30th year. Yeah, April 1st is the 30th anniversary of the launch of Comedy Central. It's amazing to me. Wow. And launched on April Fool's Day. Yes. Was that that something that you had planned? I, I think it was more of a happy accident, meaning we were about ready to launch about then and decided, okay, April 1st will work. Gotta um, do it. So yeah. We did. we did it. Well, let, let's go back before, you know, Comedy Central, um, before 30 years ago. And tell me, um, what were you doing before that, before you, you know, kind of struck gold with this, with Comedy Central? Uh Okay. Um, You can go all the way back to my childhood when I discovered I loved comedy. And I spent a lot of time listening and watching to comedians. I mean, that started when I was seven or eight years old. I really became a comedy nerd, listened to comedy albums. And uh, when I was in high school, I actually started writing. I wrote some satire, got fascinated by satire, uh, started an underground newspaper with some friends. And we, we did our best to take apart the school system and the administration they love that <laughs> we uh, have some it, rebels right in addition to being teenagers you're you know absolute that's, rebels that's that's a great the satire tradition you know try and make things better with uh with a little humor then i got to uh 
I got to college and, you know, continued that love of comedy, did a little bit of performing and some more writing. And uh, then I got a job as an economist. My goodness, an economist <laughs> and a no satire there, right? Just straight no, facts. No, satire. no I, I graduated from uh, college with a degree in economics. And to my delight and amazement, I uh, was hired as an economist right out of school by a consulting firm in Washington. And that was a thrill. I got to say, I mean, you know, I was pretty young and working with all these really smart people in Washington to solve very, very difficult problems, you know, regarding energy and environmental stuff. And it was just, and I was smart in those days. Um, (laughs) In those days. Downhill since then, but. My goodness. (laughs) Let's let's say that was, that was my smart period. And I, I worked there for three years and I loved it. I had a great time. My goodness. So what, um, you were there for three years. It does sound, I mean, isn't, isn't that the best of, you know, all world, just getting out of college and then working for the environment, working for the world, working for people. I mean, that, that is a great experience. When did you start thinking that, you know, I really miss comedy and, and that's, you know, that's what I've got to get going into. When did that happen? Well, I was at, uh, at my desk doing some consulting and I was reading a copy of Cole Weekly, uh, which was um, something I, I, I found interesting to a point. And then I thought, you know what, I, I don't think I can do this for 30 years. So I decided to change the channel. And I did that by applying to business school and I got in. So I left my job as an economist and uh, thought, okay, I'll go to business school and get a job in the entertainment industry. Goodness. So right then and there, you were thinking entertainment, but you wanted to um, apply your business skills and, and get better at business and management for something in the entertainment business. Did you graduate business school? Yes, I graduated from business school. And uh, a couple of things happened at business school, which are notable. One, yes, I I did get an education in business and my, uh, that, that did help and contribute to my intention of, uh, of finding a job in the entertainment industry using my business background. But the other thing that happened is that uh, there was a, a musical review put on every year by the Wharton graduate students. It was called the Wharton Follies. And I found those guys pretty early because they were also either interested in arts and entertainment or they, in many cases had come from the entertainment business. I mean, I worked with a, a Broadway choreographer and mm. during the first year we did the Follies there. And, um, you know, she wanted to get out of entertainment and into investment banking. So, you know, there we were crossing, um, but I, I had a terrific time. And the second year I wrote the show and I, it was very funny and it reminded me how much I loved comedy. So when I graduated, I said, you know, what I'd really like to do is work at a comedy channel, but there wasn't one. And I had been thinking at this point, man, there really should be a comedy network, you know, something that where people can go, people who love comedy of all kinds, you know, mm-hmm. old comedy, new comedy, stand-up comedy, sitcoms, you know, really. I mean, that was, that was my concept of it then. It wasn't very defined, but uh, there wasn't a comedy channel. So I ended up working for CBS. Goodness. How did you get into CBS? 
because <laughs> that's, a, that's a big company and uh, you got to know who you know. That's the typical route. But how did you get in there? Well, um, actually, in the uh, despite the fact that I wanted to work in the entertainment industry, I couldn't land a great entertainment industry job in the summer between my two years. However, uh, CBS offered a paid, I guess it was a paid internship mm-hmm. in the treasury department, working for the treasurer of CBS, which, you know, looking back on it was kind of cool. And I, I did some pretty good work for them. So when I graduated, they basically called me up and I said, look, I don't want to work in the treasurer's office. And they said, well, okay, well, we'll pass your, your resume around. And I got a job in TV, uh, TV stations. At the time, there were CBS, I'm sorry, five owned and operated television mm-hmm. stations. And uh, they were doing news, most notably, not any original programming or much original programming other than that. And uh, it was my first close-up look at programming in the television business. That's great. Yeah, I know. Um, don't uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure about the times, but I know there were the you know the big five: the ABC, CBS, NBC, and uh, a handful of others. But cable sounded like it was on the forefront. And that opened the world to many more options in programming. Was it about the time that cable hit the market or is this after? And again, the programming opened up and people were more, um, you know, willing to put on different types of programs at that time? That's a good question. Um, This is about the mid 80s when I when I hit the uh, television business for the first time. There weren't a whole lot of cable channels at that point and one of the reasons is cable was restricted channels were restricted by the um by the ability of cable operators to put them on their system there were about five thousand individual cable systems across the country some of them were owned by you know bigger entities who own lots and lots of them but digital hadn't arrived yet so some of these cable systems uh they had 13 channels, 20 channels, 30 channels. It was a big deal in the late 90s, I'm sorry, the late 80s, when somebody showed up and said, I can get 50 something channels on my system by compressing the signals. So that's why I think that's one of the big reasons people weren't jumping into the cable business, cable television programming business with more enthusiasm at the time. They were worried about distribution and distribution was hard. HBO, of course, had done a marvelous job of getting distributed. One of the ways they did that is, <laughs> and probably this is not very well known, they gave away satellite dishes yeah. or financed satellite dishes for cable operators because they didn't have satellite dishes. And uh, HBO was able to do that because there was such a strong demand for movies in the home. So HBO is really responsible for getting cable operators into the cable programming business the way they did. They were smart, weren't they? Many ways, um, like Square today, giving away those little readers for free. So people just use them on their phones. Very smart. Talking about HBO, I know eventually you were moved into HBO. Tell me about how that happened. Um, 
and how you knew about HBO and found out about it and built that desire to work with HBO? Well, HBO wasn't hard to know about. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of Netflix today. I mean, it's just the hottest, coolest place to work. And, you know, it's making scads of money and everybody's saying, oh, this is the future of television. That was HBO in the mid 80s. I was at CBS. Somebody I worked with there called me up and said, wow, HBO is looking for somebody to do subscriber forecasting. And you're the only guy in the business I know who actually has a background in economics, econometrics, forecasting. Why don't you come interview for this job? It's great here. So I did. And I got the job and there I was at HBO, which was, you know, the dream place to be. I can't say I was in my dream job. (laughs) I'd I'd left economics to get away from that. And there I was doing it all over again. But you know something, the point there is if you want to, if you want to find yourself in jobs and in places you like, you have to get in by any means necessary. And in my case, that was how I got in. Yeah. And What I imagine is you had a great advantage because you knew the, you know, statistics of the business. You knew where they were, how they could get subscribers, what they needed. You know, that is the core of HBO. And if you understood that, then you were in a perfect place to be able to potentially pitch some programming ideas like Comedy Central. Tell me about that transition and how you got out of uh, the business offices of HBO and went into pitching the comedy idea, or was there another stepping stone before that? Uh, Yeah, there was was another stepping stone. I, I did a good job in my forecasting job and I was noticed around the company, which was my design, you know, and I was picked up by somebody in the new business development department. They were a new business development department, but they were only developing one thing. And that was a channel called Festival. Festival was a pay TV channel like HBO, no commercials. You had to subscribe every month. And it was HBO's answer to one of the reasons why people weren't subscribing to HBO at the time. People weren't subscribing because they said HBO had too much sex violence and bad language. They were religious. They had children in the home. They didn't want that in their home. And HBO in their uh, eternal quest for television domination figured, all right, we're selling lots of HBO subscriptions, but to the people who won't take them, let's design a new product. So they did. It was in the testing phase when I got there. I was in charge of Lots of things, but basically doing the research, the financial analysis, the marketing analysis, and seeing if we could actually get it to launch. The short answer is we couldn't. It was a failed channel concept, to say the least. And I actually walked in on my first day, and here's something you don't want to do. And I walked into my new boss, and I said, yeah, it's great to be here, but, you know, does anybody think this channel is really going to work? I mean, no sex violence in bad language. I mean, who's going to watch I that? Know. People want Sopranos, <laughs> you know, who are these religious, you know, family oriented people? I mean, Sopranos was, uh, I think the making of HBO. Well, it was one of the early successes of HBO, but HBO, you know, listen, they had it made as soon as they put uncut movies and uncut comedy on television. And that was happening right through the eighties. Uh, you know, you couldn't see Robin Williams' comedy act anywhere 
on, except on stage. Because if he was on television, you know, they censored the heck out of it. But when HBO put it on, completely uncensored, completely uh, uncut, and people got to see it. That was a big advantage for HBO. That certainly was. So getting back to uh, your first day on the job, you know, you're questioning whether the new programming will fly. What was the reaction and where did that take you? <laughs> well, I remember my boss just telling me not to say that too loudly again, which I didn't. Uh, and we, you know, I have to say, I tried very hard to make the channel successful. But more importantly, I learned, that's where I really learned a lot about television. It wasn't in the forecasting business where I was working with lots of data mm. and uh, lots of information. It was in the research that we did on television in order to try and make festivals successful. Part of what I did is I went from town to town doing focus groups and interviews with people about how they use television and what television meant to them and how television was part of their lives. And I really was taken aback at how important television was to these people. Not only that, but, you know, how difficult a lot of people's lives are and how television made it better or soothing soothed them or made it more tolerable. Uh, and that was a lesson I hadn't anticipated. I also asked if they thought a comedy channel would be a good idea, which wasn't really on the list of questions I was supposed to be asking, but I got <laughs> snuck that in there. And uh, they usually said yes, and we'd have a conversation about it. So I was pretty uh, convinced at the, by the research I was doing and also by my own gut that somebody was going to do it uh, an all comedy channel. And it, I thought, I thought it should be HBO. That's great. It, it sounds like you listened, you know, you took risks and you listened to your gut and, you know, you were getting research, you were getting information town by town from people. And that, uh, that is great. I mean, you're in a perfect position to launch an idea to HBO. When, when did that come about? And tell well, me a little bit about that. Immediately after festival, that channel, that whole project was canceled. I had nothing to do. And as I said, it was a new business development department, but they weren't really interested in developing any new business. They told me to stick around. They said, they're not going to fire me. They'll find something eventually. So I sort of had nothing to do. I figured I better look for another job among the things <laughs> I was doing. So I also started thinking more and more about what a comedy network would look like. Mm -hmm. And then one day, as I was writing some stuff down about it and thinking about the financials and the programming, I said, you know what, this is silly. I'm just going to go pitch the head of HBO programming. And I made an appointment with her. Now you got to understand the head of HBO programming was um, considered some kind of a genius, as you can imagine. I mean, she had years of experience in the television industry and I was just a junior guy who didn't really have a lot of experience, uh, certainly not a whole lot of credibility. And I made an appointment. She said, okay, I'll see you. And I went in and I said, you know, Bridget, I think HBO should really launch an all comedy cable channel. And she said, stop right there. That is the worst idea I have ever had. I've ever heard. Oh, and she word. said, let me tell you why. And she proceeded to tell me why. She said, comedians aren't going to want to be on the channel. 
Uh, it's too expensive. HBO is not going to risk the reputation. There's plenty of comedy on TV as it is. You know, she just went on and on. And uh, I didn't actually get to say a whole lot more. And then she said, okay, thanks for coming down. And that was it. And I walked out. And I, as you can imagine, I was, I was very, very <laughs> disappointed to say the least. I mean, to have that much ice cold water thrown on me and my idea. Yeah, I, I'm sure you felt devastated. And that sounds like, um, you know, how do you pick yourself up off the ground from hearing feedback from the quote genius of HBO? How did you do that? How did you come back with that from that experience? Well, I, I my first feeling of disappointment and you know, frustration was replaced by thinking that she was wrong, you know, that somebody was going to start an all comedy network. I mean, there was an all sports network. There was an all music network. There was an all news network. News network, right? Yeah, you know, and I thought, why not an all comedy network? So I went back to my office and I really worked hard on putting together a plan for a comedy network that I was going to staple to my resume and send to Viacom and and uh, CBS, maybe other television companies around the country and see if it, A, I could get a job and B, if my comedy idea had any resonance there. Before I got to send it out, my boss's boss happened by and he said, what are you doing? You're not supposed to have anything to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so I showed him and uh, that, that kind of set a lot of other things in motion. He said, hey, I think this is great. Let's go show the chairman of HBO. And that, you know, that was unbelievable. Wow. You had and, somebody backing you on that. Well, he wasn't, you know, at that point, let me make this clear. He wasn't exactly backing me as much as saying, let's go show the chairman of HBO. And he said, let's do it right now. Yeah. So I was really put on the spot. I had no presentation, <laughs> no idea of how to pitch the thing. I had, you know, really not much to go in with. Plus, you know, do you think the head of programming at HBO was scary? Michael Fuchs, who was the chairman of HBO, had just been named the most powerful man in Hollywood by the New York Times. So he was feeling right. pretty good and he was pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> so what happened in that meeting? What, uh, what went on? With well, no, no, no pitch, no PowerPoint, nothing. And no appointment, by the way. We just and waltzed into his, as <laughs> his office. And Michael looked up and said, what do you guys want? <laughs> you know, like, you're supposed to make an appointment to see me. Uh, and Larry said, no, no, this couldn't wait. That was my boss. This can't wait. Um, I want you to hear what Art has to say. So I pitched my little heart out for 15 minutes and Michael listened and he listened quietly, which was amazing to me. And I think what got me through the pitch was my passion. I, I really had felt so strongly about comedy and was so enthusiastic about the idea of an all comedy network that I just had plenty to say and a very powerful way of saying it. And on top of that, I sold Michael on the vision, which was, look, Michael, I said, if this thing works, we are going to be the center of the comedy universe in 10 years. You know, it'll be us. And I think he liked that. He liked comedy. He was responsible for putting comedy, those, you know, those one hour highly produced comedy specials on HBO. I had the right audience for my pitch. And uh, he said, okay, let's do some research. Let's 
make a demo tape. Let's mm -hmm. see what that looks like. And then we'll have a conversation in a month or two and see what we, where we're at. That That is wonderful. It really sounds like, you know, you had this vision for a long time. I mean, I'm going to go back to high school, going to go back to college. Comedy was something that was that was part of who you were. Yes, you're a numbers guy and you could, uh, you know, uh, parse data and uh, find out information from data as well. But it's interesting because that 15 minutes was your, your limelight essentially of just laying it all out of something that you had carried around with you for years. Yeah. Would you, yeah, and uh, you know, and you were able to, you know, go ahead and put that in terms of, look, you know, this is my vision right now, but in ten years, you know, we've got this great opportunity. Had you had you thought about that for HBO? Was was that going? You know, was that something that you were thinking about before you even stepped into his office? Sure. You know, I I, I was hoping to build a comedy brand. I thought I, to rival the great comedy brands in history, Punch Magazine, National Lampoon, Saturday Night Live. I mean, there's a handful of them, but why shouldn't there be a comedy channel that would be able to sit on the same shelf with those guys? You know, that, that would be a magnet for innovative comedy in both writing, stand-up comedy, and, you know, and, and, and a place where people could look to cutting edge for cutting edge comedy for years to come. Why shouldn't there be a place like that? And I thought HBO was the perfect place to do it because they were so involved in the comedy business. Right, right. Perfect. Now, years later, you know, and, and, my and uh, art has written a book, as I mentioned before, Constant Comedy How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. It sounds like everything has gone so well for you. You know, you got the chairman's attention, you pitched him, you got it. A Comedy Central is wildly successful. I'm sure that story and, and much more are in your book, but. How did you lose your sense of humor? You were well, flying yeah. high. Well, I was flying high at that moment, but I also realized I had a tiger by the tail in that I wasn't exactly sure how to pull this off. And I had no experience in programming or the comedy business. I was teamed up with people in the comedy business, professionals, and they were very skeptical, certainly at first. I mean, the first thing, they said to me was, what do you know about comedy? And the answer was not much. I mean, I was a comedy fan, certainly, but I didn't know anything about the business. Second, we put the comedy network together. And this is what I wanted to imply with the title and the subtitle. We put it together originally. We launched it as the comedy channel, and it was a tremendous flop on day one. Oh, no. Yeah, no is right. And, oh, and you know, I felt a personal responsibility for this whole thing. I can go into some a little detail about why it didn't work at, at the beginning. But you know, it's really laid out in my book, what our hopes and dreams were what went wrong before we launched, we had to completely revamp our launch programming plan. 
uh, eight weeks before because we lost a lot of the programming we thought we were going to have. And people were really panicked at that point. But I said, look, plan B, we don't know what it is, but we got to get out there and launch something. And we did. But the press was relentless. I mean, they were having such a good time after we launched, pointing out that Michael Fuchs, the most powerful man in, the, in Hollywood, had just, you know, laid a goose egg here, you know, and really was was he was embarrassed by it you know mm -hmm. there's no other way to say it he was embarrassed by it and that first year i mean we did everything we could and i did everything we could to make the channel a success but we were really you know working against the odds because the press was relentless we weren't building an audience quickly and then six months into it we got competition. Another comedy network launched. It was launched by MTV Networks. Mm -hmm. And they came out and we said, oh man, that's trouble because MTV Network certainly knows how to make cable channels. So we were going head to head with these guys. And I'll tell you something, the first year of our existence, I went to work every day thinking they were gonna shut us down. Mm -hmm. um, and it was hard. At the end of the year, they merged the two channels. They merged the two MTV and uh, MTV Comedy Channel and, and comedy HBO's Comedy HB. Channel. MTV's Comedy Channel was called Ha, the Comedy Network. And it was uh, it was much different than ours. But we thought we had the better concept. Ours was aimed younger and hipper. And we had Mystery Science Theater 3000 at that point, which was uh, a big show for us and a big hit. And we thought we were going to prevail. So when I heard we were going to merge, that was a tremendous disappointment. Mm. Sure. Plus I, plus I was worried I was going to lose my job. Exactly. Exactly. That is, that is a difficult transition. Right. Um, and again, um, now, you know, we could talk about that, but I'm going to, um, advise my listeners to, to read the book, to see how, it actually was successful in what you had to do. And I love mysteries. So um, that will be an arts book. Um, and you can also look at the show notes. Um, the name of the book will be in there. Now, you left Comedy Central. Um, how many years did you spend with Comedy Central before leaving them? I was there for eight years. I was head of programming for a while. I was head of marketing for a while. Okay. And then you created a um, court TV, which is a brand in, um, I'm assuming it's a brand and a show. Uh, tell me a little bit about court TV. Court TV was a channel. Uh, and actually, they just brought it back, interestingly enough. So there is a new court TV channel out there. Um, Court TV was a failed channel at that point. It was started by Steve Brill, who was a lawyer and a journalist, and he wanted to put cameras in the courtroom and run courtroom trials on television nonstop mm. with, of course, commentary from journalists uh, and attorneys. And that was the idea. The problem with the idea is courtroom takes place during the day. So at night, you end up repeating the courtroom trials. There's no audience during the day. And at night, the courtroom trials were competing against primetime network shows and HBO, as you pointed out, and everything else. 
no way were they going to get an audience. And in fact, it, it was a channel that almost failed. Yes, o they covered OJ and they got a lot of notoriety from that, but they did not have a big audience at that point. They were in about 25 million homes and uh, there were about 85 million to be had. So that's just a small portion of the television audience at that time. And they had no revenues. You know, they weren't making any money. So the owners at were uh, Time Warner, Cablevision, and NBC at the time. And they said, all right, we're going to give it one more try. A new owner came in. NBC and Cablevision bowed out. And so it was, uh, it was a challenge for me and the other people there. Now, you got to remember, I walked into this situation, and it's completely different from comedy. By then, I'd, I'd become at least almost a, completely opposite of comedy I'd, art. I want to point out. Yeah, I, I'd I'd become a much more seasoned television executive. I knew my way around programming and and television, but I certainly didn't have a big background in journalism. And I walked into what was essentially a newsroom, and boy, I got a lot of glares <laughs> when I introduced <laughs> myself because they thought, who is this guy from comedy and what's he going to do the place? Now I had a, a boss, uh, Henry Schleif. He was the chairman of HBO and he similarly had no background in any of this. As a matter of fact, he never worked in cable television. He had worked at HBO and he hired me by saying, listen, you seem to know a lot about cable and how to make television. You do that, make this place a success and I will do the rest. And that was, that was the deal. <laughs> so I came up with a new primetime schedule and we really relaunched the channel as a, not just a, a channel about courtroom, but as a channel about crime and justice. Mm. And we put shows on about forensic investigation and detectives. And we had a show called Psychic Detectives, which of mm. course was copied by the networks. And we became very successful. We became a top 10 well, it was a top 15 for a while, but then a top 10 cable network ratings wise because of our success. And we ended up, when I left, we had 85, we were in 85 million households and mm. we were bought by Turner. Goodness. Okay. Yeah. And uh, of course, when they bought me, I lost my job. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Same old story. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a pattern here and I'm hearing you know, with HBO, you went ahead and, you know, had this great idea, comedy, you know, so it, it's really, you're on the, the forefront, Core TV, you really got at the heart about what people were interested in, you know, maybe not proceedings, that's part of it, but, but what are the detectives' lives? What do they have to do? What's the forensic uh, information, you know, the, the juicy stuff of crime, and, you know, being in court. So that, it really sounds like you're, again, on cutting edge and pushing yourself and, and taking risks to pitch this stuff against all odds. I mean, pitching against journalists is not easy. <laughs> they're, a, they're a very strong tribe. Um, where is this coming from, Art? Uh my interest in this or how did well, I pull just, it off? Yeah. Or? How you, how you have a, a strong belief in yourself or is it just what the heck I'm going to throw it out there and what's the worst that could happen? Well, looking back on it, uh, 
it's easy to say, yeah, I, I just had so much faith in my abilities and my <laughs> instincts and everything else. I just walked in, plowed right ahead, took <laughs> over the place. Everything went great. It really wasn't like that. I mean, I, I spent a couple of months, at least maybe three of just working with the people who had been there, trying to figure out what they had to say, figuring out who was good at what they were doing, who wasn't good at what they were doing, and trying to find the essence of what could be this channel. And I decided that it wasn't, as I pointed out, it wasn't a channel about courtroom. It was a channel about crime and justice. Now, when I pitched that internally, the first thing that happened is the advertising sales guy had a heart attack and fell off his chair. He said, you cannot say the word crime to an advertiser. They don't want to be associated, especially with true crime. I mean, that's out of the question. And I said, uh, well, you know what? We're going to figure out how to do that. We're going to figure out how to make it more appealing because these stories are fascinating and they're at the root of most of, not most of, but a lot of what's read a lot of what's on television dramatically. I mean, you know, you didn't have to look very far to see uh, NYT, NYPD Blue or, sure. you know, any of those shows that were phenomenal hits. People wanted to see that stuff. I said, so we are going to find out a way to do this because otherwise we're dead in the water. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember making that pitch and I remember wondering if I was... <laughs> It was almost like an out-of-body experience. Like, am I believing what I'm saying? And the answer was, <laughs> I was. But I, I really had to make a strong pitch for it, not knowing whether it was, in fact, going to work and not knowing whether I was effectively meeting the objections of the ad sales guy or of the journalist or the documentary filmmakers we were working with. You know, all of those people were kind of looking at me saying, who is this guy? You know, what does he know about it? But ultimately, it worked. Uh, little by little, not we, it didn't turn around in two weeks, but it did gain an audience and gain attention. And, and I was very proud of that transformation. And I learned a lot about journalism too. You know, one of the good things about me, I say to myself, is that I can get interested in things, regardless of what they are, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's Cole Weekly or whether it's, okay, now I have to learn about crime and justice and, and legal you know, I, I had to understand how to talk to lawyers because that's who was I was surrounded by all these lawyers who wanted to get into the television business. So I, I did. I got fascinated by that the same way I had been fascinated by comedy. I did get fascinated quicker, but I, I did. It sounds great. You know, it, it sounds like you both put your your research together with your vision to come up with something that was um, you know a reframed channel and entertainment some of that entertainment being brought in there versus just court cases I mean we're really dealing with the focus of crime and justice and how people operate in those difficult situations so I love that you, you were willing because of the parts of the vision, par parts of wanting to do a good job and possibly not fail, you threw yourself into your curiosity to build that channel, which is great. Yeah, I learned a lot about journalism. I learned a lot about documentary filmmaking, how stories are told. I mean, it was a great learning experience. And I love to learn stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what kept me, keeps me going. Great. So we are 
coming to the end of our story, um, I just want you to uh, shout out and, and maybe give our listeners any advice about their own journey. What would you say to them? Well, I think it's important to uh, be bold and take chances. Even if it looks like that would be tremendously difficult for you, because I think people who are bold and take chances have much more interesting lives. Failure is always a possibility. I mean, when you, when you put yourself out there, there is a possibility that you're going to fail. And as a matter of fact, when I was at comedy, everybody assumed I had failed at various points, but I refused to fail. And I just kept saying, all right, how are we going to avoid having this whole thing going, go down the tubes? And you got to keep yourself going that way. But again, I I recognized there and at Core TV, that failure was a possibility. And I think people have to come to terms with that when they're, when they're diving into a career. Absolutely, especially when it, it hasn't been done before or hasn't been done in the way that you see it, that it will be successful. So. And learning how to deal with setbacks. I mean, we didn't talk mm. about why I left Comedy Central. Mm. I left because I was fired and that was a huge setback. Mm. And again, it's in my book, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and lost my sense of humor. It's a memoir. So I talk about my feelings throughout the book and getting fired. And I talk about how important it is to pick yourself up after a setback like that and not consider, consider it a failure because otherwise you're out of business. Exactly. And it sounds like it, it, you flipped it around into more of a learning experience by picking yourself up and keeping yourself going. Well, it became a learning experience. I, I, <laughs> there were some dark days. Don't kid yourself. I am not a, an internal optimist where I walked out and the next day said, okay, what's next? It didn't happen that way. Mm. Um, it was very hard. But again, I learned a lot about the fact that people who are fired are not always fired because they do a bad job. Oh, very well said. Very well said. I like that. Um, Art, um, how can our listeners get a hold of you? How can they get a hold of your book? Um, my book is available wherever books are sold. That's bookstores. Also, Amazon.com is a good place to look for any of the other online booksellers as well. The best place to get in touch with me is by going to my website, artbellwriter.com, where you can learn about my book and me and everything else. And there's contact information on the website. Great. Wonderful. Well, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Such an interesting journey. I love many of the tidbits that I got from hearing about this journey. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been wonderful to speak with you. And I wish you more spectacular things <laughs> down the road. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here, Jody. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Art. I'm so grateful that you've listened to the end of this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review it, and share it with your friends. I love teaching insights so that you can have a more impactful and meaningful life. It's my mission to build a thriving community of happy, fulfilled people. Want more? 
visit my website at yourspectacularlife.com.